she's just unhappy most of the time. So she didn't really sleep. So for the first 12 weeks of her life, we could not get her to sleep before midnight every night. So I would just stand and rock her until midnight and she would scream. And I would feed her and she would scream. And I'd put her in a cot and she would scream. And I would hold her and she would scream. When blogger Leah Williams and her partner Colin undertook IVF, they were both on the same page. This was what they wanted. Well before their friends, they were focused on building a family. But when baby Eva arrived, she turned out to be a textbook difficult baby. Leah got postnatal depression and Colin struggled too. Welcome to Navigating Parenthood, brought to you by HCF, Australia's largest not-for-profit health fund. I'm Gretchen Miller, and on this episode, we're exploring how we look after ourselves in the early days of parenthood. But before we get into the show, it's necessary we remind you that this podcast contains general information and should not be relied on as medical or social advice about your situation. HCF doesn't adopt or endorse any statements or opinions made during the podcast. Talk to your doctor for health advice and services. And if you're feeling depressed or anxious and need to talk to someone now, call Lifeline on 13114. Now, joining us shortly for expert comment and insight is Ray Medora. He's a clinical social worker and the principal therapist at Ray's Room, Child and Family Therapy. And Leah Williams is also with us with another baby on the way. So Leah, to you first, there's something that stands out about your relationship. You've been together for a decade and all that time you haven't planned a wedding, but you eloped in February this year with your daughter who had just turned two. Now, I think that's the most romantic thing in the world because not many two-year-olds inspire romance. What made you decide now was the time to get married? I think it was one of those things where we were really just like, if we don't do this now, we're probably never going to do it. So instead of kind of having a big wedding, I suppose we bought investment property and we did some things like that. I suppose because we had IVF to do our daughter and we had IVF booked in again for March, I thought, let's just do it now. And, and it was just something special to do just, just for us, I think. You were together for seven years before baby Eva arrived. What were the characteristics of your relationship? I think we've always kind of wanted to have kids and that was something that we knew would be a struggle for us. So we were quite focused on that from the beginning, I think, from even after being together for a year or so, we both had already spoken about it. But you both had had a bit of a history of anxiety, depression, that kind of thing as well. How did you navigate that stuff before you went about doing IVF? Yeah, I think because we both have dealt with depression and anxiety for quite a long time, I like to, maybe this isn't accurate, but I like to think we're, we're kind of both quite self-aware of when we're not in a great spot. I think because we've both kind of worked on it for so long, whereas I think maybe people who, I don't know, I'm just speaking from personal experience, people who have just kind of gone down that path now aren't maybe as self-aware. So I think, and I suppose because we've both been through it, we're able to really communicate with each other about checking in and saying, no, actually... I don't think you're doing okay at the moment. We need to to kind of sort 
through this together. I'm wondering about IVF. Now, did that have an impact on your relationship? Because we know how tricky IVF can be. To be honest, IVF was really hard. Um, So we tried for two years to conceive naturally before we started IVF. So I think I would have been 26, 27 when we first started trying, I think. So I found that part actually the hardest. That for me was harder than doing IVF because when I was doing IVF, I felt like I've got a goal and I've got a plan and working towards something. Whereas when we were just trying naturally, just getting the the negative tests every month to me was really heartbreaking. And I found that so, so hard. All right, Ray, to you now. Um, When a couple decides to have a baby, I think many don't actually think about the impact it will have on their relationship. You suddenly both become very united in, in the direction that you're going. But do we spend enough time going, actually, we're sort of throwing a bomb in? Absolutely. I think um, very often the focus can really be on this new arrival and that we can get really caught up in all this excitement and maybe even over-focus on what it's going to be like having this beautiful new life in, in our family and in our world. And perhaps... And that baby never cries. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever. No, it doesn't need to feed or it doesn't need to be pat to sleep for 25 minutes. Or three, uh, hours. Or three yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. rocked for 24 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it, the, the tricky thing is that every baby's really different. Mm. And so you can't really know exactly what the realities of having that baby will be and uh, what the impact on the relationship will actually look like. Um, there's probably conversations to have before trying and, and to really think about how the baby will impact the relationship in each of the individuals. But then during the pregnancy, there'll be a whole new set of realities which will shift uh, how each individual feel about themselves, but also about each other. And so really everything kind of changes from sort of go to woe. You know, you're kind of entirely different people from pre-pregnancy to after a baby. And you'll probably notice your, your goals in life and your aspirations change, your priorities obviously feel very, very different. And so the kind of conversations I think that people need to be having are surrounding some of those realities, like what will I do? What will you do? What will your jobs be? What will my jobs be? Uh, how will we manage pickups and drop-offs and how we manage daycare and how we f- how will we manage finances differently and how we manage our sex life differently and how we manage, you know, there's just a whole probably laundry list of things that need to really be thought through. Um, Leah is nodding away <laughs> and giggling away at this. It's like ringing resonant bells yeah. for her. Um So, Leah, you both finally got this baby that you wanted, the perfect baby, only she was one of the difficult ones, wasn't she? Yes, yes, yeah, definitely. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I think, you know, maybe because we had tried for so long and, you know, every baby's precious, but she was such a little miracle baby to us and this baby we've craved for so many years and then she came and she was just horrible. (laughs) she just she's amazing now like she's you know she's two and a half now and she's this incredible confident funny so smart she's so smart little girl but she as a baby she was just not like even my mum will say oh she was a horrible baby like she she was just unhappy most of the time so she didn't really sleep so for the first 12 weeks of her life we could not get her to sleep before midnight every night so I would just stand and rock her until midnight and she would scream and I would feed her and she would scream and I'd put her in a cot and she would scream and I would hold her and she would scream. And then kind of once we got past that newborn stage, we got a sleep consultant, which really, really helped so, so much. But she was still just unhappy and we could never really, and I took her to, you know, osteos and chiros and doctors and and I, I kind of wanted there to be something wrong with her in a way just so they can be like, okay, we'll you just take these tablets and then you'll fix it. 
but that wasn't the case. I think they, you know, just basically said she's what we call a textbook difficult baby and you just have to try and learn ways to adjust your lifestyle. Was that when, I mean, I guess I'm pointing to you became depressed, yeah? You got postnatal depression. And postnatal anxiety. So, yeah, I think it's just the the constant whinging and unhappiness. It's that constant whinging and she... It was one of those things where you couldn't put it, putting her down, she wasn't happy, she'd win, she'd pick her up and she'd backbend and hit you and it was that that would drive me nuts. So I went and saw, I knew I, knew I wasn't okay. My partner said, you're not doing okay. You know, he said, you're, you're, you're crying all the time, you're really anxious, like you're constantly like this and you say your heart's racing all the time, like, you know, you need to go and talk to your GP. So I went and talked to my GP and I went back on anxiety medication, which I haven't been on since I was about. 20, I would say, which was kind of a big thing to go back on medication again. I, d- I really didn't want to, but I knew within myself that it was something I had to do because I, I wasn't coping with the situation. Yeah. I can deal with the tantrums because at least they end, you know, even if it, the tantrum now, she has these epic tantrums that go sometimes can be half an hour tantrum, but at least there's an end point. <laughs> it was just that whinging that and the crying that there was never an end point and it was so hard to get You'd get little tiny snippets of joy and happiness out of her, but that was it. So you kind of cling on to those moments, but there were so few. Ray, postnatal depression, it's pretty insidious actually and pretty hard for a a mother to handle because you have to be mum. You can't just curl up in a ball and go to sleep and, and sleep it away. What are the things that can help and where does family come into this picture? Absolutely. It's as insidious as it is relentless. You know, as a mum, you can't sort of leave the the baby for a few hours so you can, um, you know, recharge your batteries or build your capacity back up. You're needed all the time. And in hearing the story that that you've uh, just sort of shared with us, I think it's a great example of how difficult it can be having a baby while also having your own mental health issues. And there's shame involved in this too. Absolutely. Definitely. Because I think you do think, like I thought quite a lot, what am I doing wrong that this baby doesn't like me? Like, for honestly, the first year I thought this baby doesn't like me. Like, why doesn't she love me? I've wanted this baby for so many years and now she's here and I just don't even, I don't feel it. Like, I love her, but I don't feel that she loves me. She's just always backarching and whinging and hitting me. You do start to really doubt yourself. And I know now, like, gone through it, that it was nothing to do with me. That's just the way she was. And I hear women say all the time, or both parents actually say all the time, that they really thought there was, there was a lot of self-doubt. They mm. really thought it was about them and what they were doing. And um, I guess the effects are that we really begin to question our ability. And we, mm. and we begin to question ourselves as a person. And uh, um, I think there's nothing more personal to us than our, our baby and how we parent. So Colin was a particularly attentive dad, wasn't he? Yeah, he's, a, he's an amazing dad. He's such a caring and sensitive soul. I think he probably made a lot of sacrifices in terms of dropping things he loved to do to always try and finish work and just get home because in that first 12, 14 months when she was like that, he would walk in the door and I would literally hand her to him and go in the bedroom and shut the door because I just needed a break from it. So I think he probably, yeah, he made a lot of sacrifices in dropping a lot of things he he wanted to do so that he, as soon as he finished work, he would come home and take over. And did you feel like you two had time for your relationship? Did you do what you probably should have, which is get the babysitter and, you know, make sure that you both got out? I mean, not really, to be honest, um, because I really didn't want to leave her with other people because 
of how she was so I was quite frightened to do that so my mum actually would come and stay every now and then and and she would look after her and we would go out but I I would say that's you know once every three months. Ray you're you're nodding away there. Yeah it's just super common you know it's super common um, as we focus so much on the baby our relationships begin to sort of fall into the background and uh, unless we sort of schedule things weeks or months in advance they just begin to fall off the radar you know life can be really chaotic especially with a very young baby and especially when you have two people with stressful lives for whatever reason and uh, having a date night having it going out for a movie or a dinner or whatever it is just doesn't feel like a huge priority sometimes so uh, one thing that we have to do as um, new parents is really really book in advance date nights book in times to have conversations book in times sometimes to do other things this is navigating parenthood the podcast which is all about you parents brought to you by hcf we'd love to hear what you think about the show so leave us a review wherever you listen and do tell your friends to check us out also we'll be back shortly to talk about mental health in fathers and secondary caregivers generally life's full of little bumps some you can plan for some you can't That's why HCF created My Family Packages with flexible extras so you control how you spend on the services you need the most. Visit hcf.com.au today. Waiting periods of up to 12 months apply. Ray, so much attention is paid to maternal mental health. Is it the case that partners, be they men or women, fathers or second mothers, get a bit left out of the picture? There's probably a couple of factors that add to this. Commonly, men don't self-report as much as women do. So uh, when men are struggling with something or something is feeling extremely distressing or overwhelming, it's more the case that we would suffer in silence and sort of say, everything's okay, everything's fine. Um, this might not be your part of it. Yeah. No, I, I, can, with men. I yeah. can agree with that, yeah. So... The first thing is that men often won't sort of come to a therapist and say, actually, I think I'm, I'm suffering with postpartum depression or anxiety, whereas often women get the attention through hospital systems or through mothers' groups or through a range of other, you know, maybe even friends or family who have gone through something similar. So when you've got two parents who are fragile in their mental well-being with a baby, a new baby on the scene, I guess it's all about self-care, right? Look, it just becomes more and more important when we're really other-orientated or other-focused that we actually also take some time to nurture ourselves and care for ourselves and be kind to ourselves. Uh, everyone makes mistakes. Every single person makes mistakes. Otherwise, I would be out of a job. <laughs> you know, so it, it's really, really common. Um, but the other common thing is that after making mistakes, we can really beat ourselves up and really make it about ourselves and, and really think that there's something deficient about us. And so taking care of yourself only really becomes more of a priority post-baby. You've made the point that small things can really make a difference, like always saying goodbye and coming back together at the beginning and end of a day. We call it the takeoff and the landing, you know, so you always sort of have a ritual around taking off and leaving each other. Maybe it's a, a goodbye kiss or a peck or, or a, an embrace. And the same for when you come back together. It's sort of one way that we can keep the physical closeness and intimacy high in moments of high stress. So, Leah, you're a writer, a commentator, and you have a blog and an Instagram account that a lot of people are following. It's called The Dearest Days, which is a beautiful title. It's really important in a world where the perfect is emphasised to actually share the struggle as well, isn't it? And you've, you're obviously seeing that. Definitely. I think especially online. So I think 
you can see, I mean, people might look at my feed on Instagram and be like, oh, you take all these pretty photos and everything's white and styled and I have certain tones I use and edited, but I think it's what goes along with the photos and it's the words. And I think if people take time to read the words that I write, you know, I do try to keep it real, I suppose, in terms of telling my story and that it's not always a pretty picture and what might go on behind the pretty picture is that's the words. Ray, social media used for good, but social media can be a more tricky sphere, more generally speaking, can't it? It does lend itself to a lot of comparison and self sort of maybe self-hate or or self-judgment, especially when you have really perfect sort of photos on Instagram and there's just one after the other and maybe you don't really feel that perfect on the inside. It's a sphere that we're only really getting our heads around now and probably have a lot more time to really understand the impacts of. I, I can really see two sides of it. I have met so many amazing friends through blogging and through Instagram that I talk to every single day. And I actually have this little, there's this group of us, there's a, I think there's about eight of us who just in a group chat on Instagram and we talk about all sorts of things, but often at 1am if you need to say, my child has this rash, here's a photo of it, someone out of that eight is always awake. <laughs> so there's always someone there. And I think it's that feeling of not feeling alone because you do feel like there will be someone there who will listen or help me or have advice And I think that's such a beautiful side of social media, definitely. So you've got another baby on the way. In fact, it looks like it's any minute now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wonder just for yourself whether having experienced postnatal depression before, what you're putting in place to just make sure that you're looking after yourself with this next baby. So I have quite a close relationship with my midwives and my GP, so they're quite great. They have obviously have a recorded that I have, have experience with that. So as part of the midwifery program that I'm in, I've seen a counsellor already. They've just sort of, hey, why don't you go and have a chat just to check in and establish the relationship already so that if you do need down the line to, to use that resource, you've already know who they are. But I think one of the other things that we've really done as a couple is to try and fix anything or talk through anything that maybe has been bothering us about our relationship before the next baby comes. And I think in terms of having, whether it's your first baby, your second baby, your third baby, that's something that's so important is to make sure your relationship is solid before that baby comes into this world because of all the added pressure and the added stress and the tiredness. Like being so tired just can send you crazy just being tired. Yes, without anything else. Ray, final words of advice to couples wanting to keep their relationship special. The final words that I would say are really to have some space carved out for the couple relationship. So much of your world will be occupied by the new family and the way the new family feels, and that will not that will not change. But what can shift and what can dramatically alter is the way you feel about each other and, and what happens in the relationship. So definitely carving out time and putting the energy and investing the emotional energy for your relationship, I think, is crucial. And Leah? My advice would be... I think as we were talking about earlier, a lot of the focus is is on mums and while that is so important because, you know, the mum has just given birth and whether that was the way they wanted it to or it may have been traumatic or maybe recovering and they're trying to breastfeed or whatever they're trying to do, sometimes is the focus needs to be on the dads as well because I think often it isn't. So acknowledging that they're going through a lot of changes as well. So I think really checking in with the dad and acknowledging that, They've just gone through these big changes as well and checking in and making sure that they're okay too. 
Beautiful advice. Thank you both for coming in so much. It's been really generous of you to tell your stories and share your your thoughts. Leah Williams, creator of the Dearest Days blog and Instagram feed, and Ray Medora, clinical social worker and family therapist. And listeners, please, if today's content has left you feeling anxious and you need to talk with someone now, call Lifeline on 131114 or check in with your doctor for any ongoing concerns. This has been Navigating Parenthood brought to you by HCF. I'm Gretchen Miller. Do tell your friends about us and leave us a few words on your favourite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You'll find more information about our guests and further resources from HCF in the show notes. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,